0: It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 563. That's 563 of Accelerate, where I share advanced selling concepts for sales leaders and high achieving sales professionals. So, joining me on this episode is Garrett Merguth. He's the CEO of Directive Consulting. And in this episode, we're going to have a conversation about the essential role that marketing plays in a successful account based selling program. Garrett's also going to share his strategies for how to leverage social media to increase revenue at every stage of your pipeline as well. So if you'd like to see the summary notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 563. As always, we provide a timestamp breakdown of this and all conversations on Accelerate. You want to check that out there. I've been talking the last couple of weeks about a new report I just produced. It's based on the input of over 300 leading sales experts, people I've interviewed right here on Accelerate, and this report is all about what you can do to amp up and accelerate your sales right now. Now, you might be surprised what the experts recommend be the first thing you should do to get your sales back on track. So, this report is free. Go to Accelerate.fm forward slash Accelerate to get your copy right now. That's Accelerate.fm forward slash Accelerate to get your copy right now. I also noticed last week that Amazon lowered the price on my second book. That's Amp Up Your Sales, Powerful Strategies That Move Customers to Make Fast, Favorable Decisions. Now, this book was was honored to be on HubSpot's list of the 20 best sales books of all time. So, if you want to learn precisely what you need to do to maximize the value you have to deliver to your prospects to win their business, then this is the book for you. So, it's normally priced at, gosh, $13.99. I think it's now available for $7.99, at least in the Kindle version. So, I'm not sure how much longer this will last. So, go to Amazon today, order your copy. Finally, before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that I want to hear your questions about sales or sales management, whatever challenges you're facing. So, send your question to me at andy at and each week I'll choose one to answer on the air. and I can do it anonymously if you don't want your name used. But I'll choose one question from those submitted from the previous week to answer on my Friday conversation with Bridget Gleason. In the winter, the person who submitted the question that we choose will win a free half-hour coaching call with me. Now, that's that's a $250 value right there, so don't delay. Do it today. Submit your question to me at andy at andypaul.com. All right, let's jump into it with our guest today. Join me, Garrett Mergrith. Garrett, welcome to Accelerate. Oh, well,
1: thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Well, hey, thanks for being on the show. Um, so, first question I ask almost all my guests, a standard question, is in your opinion, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today?
1: Differentiation.
0: So, I, uh, tell us what you mean. Yeah, I would say the most difficult
1: part, I, I sell professional services, but you know, I think whether it's a SaaS product or a professional service, making someone understand why you truly are unique or really Getting down that niche and that value prop, and then building up all the assets that support that, whether that's case studies, whether that's ebooks and or like genuinely real assets that people actually want to read, not ones that you just feel good about sending. Mm-hmm. so that you truly differentiate yourself, I think is the most difficult part. But I found you know if you can get the differentiation down, that just means that you sound like a different song than everyone else. And it, you know when you have that going for you, you can take price a little bit off the table because now people are selling different products, so you're not competing on the same product. And now with price off the table and you're only talking about your differentiators and your value, it's a lot easier to close the deal.
0: So what part of that differentiation in your mind comes from, as you said, sir, sort of bringing together the right assets at the right time as opposed to, you know, hey, you as a human connecting with that other human in sort of a unique way?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not that, I think that you the connection at a human to human level is a mandatory aspect of the sales cycle that if you do not connect, like I've never closed a deal where the intro call doesn't go well. If I have a bad intro call, for whatever reason, that deal tends not to close. But when I said differentiation, I think it's the, it's usually a vertical differentiation. So why at least in professional services, they want to, well, have you worked with X type of firm before? Have mm-hmm. you had success with? And if you can say, yeah, here's actually three exact examples. And I'd love to show you all the campaigns we ran. Actually, I'll show you the live back end of their campaigns. I'll show you what, how we, well, the reports I sent to them last week, and that you can literally allow that person to imagine themselves and self-identify with what you're selling so that they sell themselves because they can imagine exactly how it solves their need. And when right. you do that really well by differentiating and having a vertical, now all of a sudden you have a very, you, you know, lucrative product that you don't have to compete as much on price, on as much as value and benefits.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. So we're going to talk about a couple topics today that that you know sort of blend the marketing and the sales aspect because yeah, you know, bring mm. your your expertise in. So one is you've talked about. Uh, how to leverage social media to increase your revenue at every stage of the pipeline. So tell us what you mean by that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think about it. I I presume maybe what you're talking about is increasing your, your revenue potential at every stage of your pipeline. But if I have that wrong, let me know.
1: No, I, I mean exactly, yeah. The revenue potential, and you're totally right. And so the idea is I think sometimes, and this is myself included, we look at social media and we decide that social should somehow directly drive revenue. And so we look at it and we say, okay, well, how many people came from LinkedIn and filled out our form? And then we and so we start to treat social media as something it was never truly intended to be. And this is my own, I hate it because I suffer from this too. We start to compare social media to other channels like paid search, marketing, outbound, and we start to all of a sudden say, how does that stack up by the same metrics in the same kind of playing field and it's not because I think we need to look at social like we look at radio and we look at TV and we look at print sometimes. Which is a- awareness building? Is awareness. I well yeah and I think because this cost per awareness is so much lower and the targeting so much better than any other channel out there right now. And so you know we deal exclusively you, with So B2B. you're saying you're saying the targeting and social the cost of so awareness good. is lower than T V radio and and the other alternatives. No, what I'm saying is, at a cost per impression, it beats them. It's much more affordable, and the targeting is yeah, far better. No, exactly, and because like we just do B two B, and people are like, "Well, I don't want to be on Facebook. We need to be on LinkedIn." All right, and so you, you say, "Okay, I understand where you're coming from, from a you know logical like that makes sense, right?" And but you start to look at the channels, right, and you say, "Okay, well, LinkedIn, it's more expensive." I, I don't inherently just network on LinkedIn so much as either look for a new job or do research. And I'm no more less of who I am as a person, whether I'm on Facebook or LinkedIn. And Facebook's now targeting is so good. So you can target exact titles, exact company size, exact locations at half the cost oftentimes of LinkedIn. And so it's just to understand what's the purpose, because if you're going to do that ad campaign and say, how many leads are we going to get compared to how many impressions can I get on my exact persona? All of a sudden now you can use social media in every stage of the funnel so that someone who doesn't know about your product at the top of the funnel, all those people who never seen your brand, never clicked on your website, they're gonna get content. So maybe an ebook, a low temperature type asset, right? And then people who maybe are in your sales funnel right now, you can anybody who's been to your site or anybody that's in your CRM, you can then literally build an audience directly into your social media campaigns from your CRM. So you can connect your LinkedIn, you can connect that database into your Salesforce or whatever that is. And you can show ads to people at different stages of the funnel based on where they're at. So, everybody who's already got a proposal, I could just be showing ads about our case studies or client testimonials. And so, at scale for a lot of companies, social media is like a secret weapon to improve their close rates at different stages.
0: And so, what are they looking at relative to, yeah, in magnitude of investment for that? Because you know, it's yeah, it's going to end. Add to the cost of acquisition to be able to do that. So, yep. I mean, how large of an organization, or maybe how large of a um, mm-hmm. you know value product do you need? Average contract value, or annual contract value, or lifetime contract value? Do you need to be selling to really justify that type of additional expense?
1: Uh, honestly, I mean, if you're just anywhere n- near the word profitable or anywhere near the word established, it shouldn't be a huge cost and it also shouldn't be a huge worry. So, for example, with my business, I spend $10 a day and I have an exact audience. And then once a week, I change up my ad creative with my graphic designer and I show them a new ad and I, I'm just simply building awareness. So I was able to target all the people who work in B2B that have marketing manager, CMO, director of marketing, all the titles I want at all the companies I want that have more than 10 employees that are all B2B. In, in a certain geographic area? No, just nationally. And I have 55,000. And then all I do is I just change up those ads, change up my stories, and I keep making sure that I'm top of mind. And then when they search, well, let's say a B2B SEO company, I make sure that I have a search ads there. I rank you all organically. I've got good content. And so it's just about Using social media at the top of your funnel at ten dollars a day, I mean that's it's probably what you spend half the time on your lunches.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what sort of exposure, let's say, on if you're doing that on Facebook, you're spending ten dollars a day on a Facebook ad. You said you have yep. a target, you know, list of fifty thousand plus companies. I mean, how many of those are, you actually, many of
1: are actually?
0: Five thousand. How many are actually getting exposed to that ad?
1: Oh uh, yeah, so on average, uh, my daily spend. Let's see. So I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm actually pulling up my numbers right now as you're talking. So in the last seven days, at $10 a day, I reached 8,000 of those marketers in my $55,000 um, $55, audience targeting, or 55,000 person targeting. So I reach uh, about eight to 10000 a week. So every month, I saturate that audience, and so I could weekly or monthly change my ad creative so I see a new different ad, a new offer, and all I'm doing is staying top of funnel. And so what you want to be able to do, right, because we differentiate it as a vertical of B2B. There's not that many B2B search marketing agencies out there. So there's also not that many people looking for B2B SEO because they don't even know that an SEO company that only does B2B exists. Mm -hmm. So you have to generate that demand. And for $10 a day, it's worth every penny. So you should find audience sizes that are kind of realistic to what you expect. Like there's only 55, you see what I'm saying? There's only 55,000 marketers in B2B anyway. So if I have a list in my audience where it's like 2 million I'm like, oh, crap, that's a bad audience targeting. I have to get my targeting better so that the audience size fits the market size. And now you've got a great audience that you should spend three five, three, two, a dollar a day just getting in front of. If you're spending all this other money on everything else, it makes no sense for them to not have at least heard of you at the cheapest channel, social, before right. you spend at a high cost, which is sales reps, which is search ads, which is SEO, which is content. And so we use it as a top of funnel awareness. Huh? Interesting. So on your ad, you obviously
0: have some sort of call to action. I mean, so what sort of response rates do you get off of that?
1: Yeah. So right now, I'm. It's costing me. Let's see. So, let's look at all the data. It's kind of fun. Cost per. Um, I've got a cost per impression. I'm trying. I got to add We're getting, one more. Getting, Fil- getting real time stats here, people. I. <laughs> sorry. So it's costing me about eleven dollars a link click. Um, and that, but I got fifteen thousand impressions. For twenty-two dollars, so I'd have to put the CPM column in. I don't have it pulled up right now, sure. but it's pretty. It's pretty it's, cheap. It's very. It's very. It's cheaper than all my other. So I also run Twitter, LinkedIn, and other ones. Uh, Twitter's targeting's poor. They don't let you layer it. So I can't find people who have certain titles and work in B2B. It'll only do titles and B2B. And so next thing you know, I'm advertising to all marketers with these titles, not just people in B2B with these titles. Right. So that's why Twitter stock also isn't doing as well, in my opinion, is because their ad options are poor. So major enterprises and then agencies aren't using their ad channel as much. Um, Facebook does it really well. They layer it and LinkedIn lets you layer it. LinkedIn is just about two to three times more expensive, I found. And so I try to stay within Facebook with the majority of spend there. And then the call to action is just a simple image. And it's got a nice – it's all branded, very nice, creative. Um, You know, you shouldn't just do like stock photos. You should have some type of creative there that's really going to differentiate you, stand out. Remember, it's got to be worth the brand of – this is what I always tell people in marketing. Your brand assets are a direct reflection of the quality of service in someone's mind. In other sure. words, when someone sees your assets, if they're crappy, they think, wow, that person's going to do crappy assets for me.
0: Sure. Absolutely. And, in marketing.
1: And so, Yep. And so ours are kind of pretty well done. We spend a lot of time on it. And it's just free assessment plus case studies. And it's learn more. And it's just got like a nice little ad. We're pitching a free assessment. And then other ones are check out our case studies. And we just do a new one each week. And we keep learning. We also have these carousel ads talks about our process. So Facebook lets you do a carousel. You usually see that for e-commerce. We're using it for lead gen though. And you're able to kind of do step one is the first one, step two, and then all the graphics tie into each other. Uh, So that's a cool way of doing it as well. And then there's also lead ads. A big one on LinkedIn now and on Facebook is Mm -hmm. lead ads. And we just do those for retargeting though. So if you've been to our site and didn't convert, we'll show you lead ads on Facebook and LinkedIn to then get an assessment. And that's a really cheap cost per click. And we're getting okay results with that one. Got it.
0: So you talked about call to action being mm-hmm.
1: problematic for a lot of a
0: lot of companies. You yep. had uh, I think an article about why your call to action is hurting you. So that's a big one because that and that's I want to look at it in sort of multiple dimensions. One is, is certainly you could do it in the targeted ads, but also you know increasingly companies are relying on marketing automation and sales automation. A lot of frontline sales reps generating tons of emails going out to prospects every day. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, with relatively low open and response rate. So what are they doing yeah. wrong with their call to action?
1: Yeah, so here's what we found. Call to actions are by far our most important optimization when we manage someone's advertising. We do custom landing pages and we found more so than new designs, new buttons, new whatever it is. It's the offer you're testing and then matching that to the intent of the visitor. So, let's kind of break that down in different things. So, let's say you're doing outbound email, for example. Right. If your offer is more is more frictional than the benefit, in other words, if scheduling a demo without knowing why it's valuable at this stage, then your your offer is too hard and you need to pipe it down a little bit. Or you need to do a dual offer. So, you get so what we recommend is on our landing pages we do dual offers. So, we had, for example, we did a study. We published it with Neil Patel and Crazy Egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the landing page, we had schedule a demo. And then we also tested watch a demo video. Both were gated. So both you had to fill out all your information, okay? Sure. So either way, the reps were getting it. Either way, it was going to the pipeline. But we took the conversion rate from about 2 to 3% to over 15% by just having them watch a demo video And then we said no need to schedule, you know, reach out on your own time. And we literally took all of the psychological pain that's kind of there with, okay, I'm going to have to on this demo. I got to work the calendar. I don't even know if I want the product yet. I haven't seen it. Now I have to listen to someone explain it to me. I don't have time for that. I just want to play with it or I just want to see it. And so we changed the offer, and that's when the campaign worked. So we found more so than getting your AdWords testing right, getting your copyrights to offer, what are you actually giving someone, and does that match their intent, and what kind of psychological issues could that offer be subconsciously communicating that you don't even realize are keeping people from wanting to do it? And you have to test that. So that's our biggest thing, is testing the offer. So, I mean, oftentimes, especially in sort of outbound emails,
0: it's yeah, it's relatively low touch. Hey, maybe we've got a white paper, we got a case study, we got an ebook, we got something uh, which seemed fairly frictionless uh, compared mm-hmm. to having to schedule a demo. But still, a lot of companies struggle with low response rates. What? Yeah, what are they doing wrong?
1: I think you have to think of a different type of offer. So the offer I've been going with that's been doing really well is the offer is forwarding it. And I know that sounds sim- simple, right? But we. We, we do persona based outbound. So we'll go after a VP of marketing and that whole persona so we can send that scale because we went through a lot of tests, Andy. So, I mean, I had a four person business development team and we were ramping up and we ended up scaling it all the way back because the thing they were spending their hours on wasn't what was driving the revenue. And so we actually are, we've outsourced it now. And I can talk about that a little bit. But, but what, what was happening, we were doing the 108010 principles. So we were personalizing the first 10 percent of the outbound email templating the 80, and then personalizing the close rate, okay? And at that cadence, we could send between 40 to 80 emails a day from one rep. Sure. But the response rates were no different than the templated emails if they used a template for the persona. So then what we started to do is we had our, uh, in our list building, we would separate them and then do separate sequences. So we had a VP of marketing, uh, and that offer to the VP was – to um, essentially learn more about how they can increase their MQLs, which we knew is what they cared about most. Sure. See, the marketing manager was how they could get help to do the things that they have on their checklist, because we know the marketing manager has more than they can do. And then the CEO was simply forward this, and we can find out if you're missing out on any opportunities, because they just don't want to be losing money. See, and the VP wants to make sure they're making enough of it, and the marketing manager needs, needs help getting it done. And so when we understood each person's pain point, we got a lot better response rates and ramped it up with the right offers for each persona and then the right copy and the right story. But the one that's working the best is just forwarding it to this, having the CEO emailing some, Hey, this is what we do less than a hundred words. Can you forward this to someone in your, in your marketing department who's the best point of contact and CEOs love to forward things. And so we've actually had the best luck and then they have to respond cause the CEO forwarded it to them and I'm there to CC'd on it. So they don't want to not respond to me. And so also getting the handoff is a lot easier. Did you change anything on your
0: landing page when you did that?
1: Uh, I'm not even sending any links in these emails, so I took away links to test that, and I'm getting better responses if I can keep the engagement 100% in the email.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So so this sort of ties back into another thing you talked about, how you increased your email reply rates from 8% to 34%. Was that, again, tied to this call-to-action change, So to having it focused on forwarding?
1: See, this one though is not a sales email. This was a content email, which is sometimes equally hard, but what we did is a little different. So we don't. We are not at 34% response rates on our outbound, I wish. Our breakup emails, when we get to that point, get us to about 10% on our sequence, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty good. Um, but this is for content marketing. So this is uh, a more of a, we'll do something for you. So essentially what we do is we segment Everyone in an audience, we scrape the web and we'll find everybody, let's say, who does uh, writes on landing pages and then we'll come up with a landing page sequence and then we'll do some different things. Like we published these surveys on Moz and there's a whole study we ran Mm -hmm. um, and so, we added these little cards. So, we made these image cards with our graphic designer of like the sales rep's face and then uh, who they were as a person. And then we made it really friendly. And we tried like a whole new type of email that someone's never even received before. So, and that so got it was us to, the like, face,
0: the, meant to be the face of the sender.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. we started changing up the whole entire email. Exactly. So, this had like this little graphic banner image at the top that was like personalized and custom. It was really cool. So, that got us to, like 15% response rates. And then we allowed people choices. So we said, well, you know, we've given you three options. Which one of these three is best? So we got to the point of participation. That got us to like 20%. And then we segmented the topics that we were suggesting per each vertical. That got us to like 30%. You see? So we just kept testing new theories well, of like uh, how so to elaborate
0: Elaborate on that last one, but you were said you're segmenting the topics?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like... I pitched you to get on this podcast, right? And so how did I do that? I took all the different people who had sales podcasts, I had a VA scrape all those lists, and then build all the emails, and I pitched separate topics to all the sales podcasts, as I did to the marketing podcast, as I did to the social media podcast, so that you could just reply, yes, that sounds good, with the one you liked, and I could get it all scheduled in no time. And so that's that same theory and that same testing is actually what got me on this show, and it works incredibly well.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. All right, so let's let's talk again about a little bit about um, call to actions because this is again yeah. outbound emails, oftentimes trying to get the demo, but not always. So if you were to advise somebody, say, okay, you've got your outbound, you know, SDR team, is yeah. dev team, sending out forty emails a day, yeah, you know, should the. Should they really be aiming for the demo or should they be doing something more as a more intermediate step that's going to maybe might require one more step in your cadence but will increase your overall conversion rate to demos?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I only want to get them on a call because you still have to act like you're the big dog on the block when you get the meeting. So you have to see if you they fit with you first, right? And if else I think you put the power of the relationship in the wrong place. And so you still have to hold on to something as the vendor. And so we don't want to pitch a demo first. We want to see if they're a good fit for us. And now all of a sudden we're exclusive and different. And that's been helping because, you see, we, we want to make sure that they're a good fit with our B2B model. And we know we traditionally only take B2B SaaS companies. We already know they're B2B SaaS. We've already built the perfect list. But we have to make sure they know that we're different. And that's how we get that meeting. And from that meeting, we can then get the demo and we can start to know what the budgets look like and needs look like. So that And we don't just do a plain demo. We do a full custom audit of them, their competitors, their competitors, all, everything out there. And so when we get a demo for us, at that point, if we can get to the proposal, we're at already over a 30% close rate because we've got so much info and so much time put into this proposal.
0: So one point before we got on the air, you're talking about you've almost done too well <laughs> in the past. So what are you looking at changing, sir, going forward? I mean, it almost sounds like you had almost captured too much business, but, you know, things go in cycles, as we all know, with, with companies. So, yeah, yeah. So That's what's the big, what's, <laughs> the, right, so what's your big initiative going forward this year?
1: Uh, we brought HR in-house, so I have a full-time HR person. So, their goal is to, you know, do, like, you know, three to five interviews every week, so that I can focus on growing the business and not worry about the service level, and we can hire early enough. The idea, right, is that Pipeline's still, for us, even super sporadic. We just have this, you know, funny thing where I'll go a month, nothing closes, and then all the deals in the pipeline decide to close that same Friday, right? And now right. you've got eight accounts to onboard. You're like, Thanks, you know, that couldn't have you know, two a week wouldn't have done just fine. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, hey, it's, it's their schedule, not yours, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, and there's usually some budgetary and fiscal stuff that's cross industry. So it happens. So like, people have closing at similar times for causes and reasons I've never quite figured out. But there's enough of trends going on that there is something going on fiscally. And so, but, to make up for it, yeah, we are we've been hiring earlier. We're trying to get better at, you know, knowing which ones will close. And then we brought h r full time in-house um to just make sure we're hiring. We're not a huge firm. You know, we only have 30 uh, something accounts, and we have twenty something employees. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a ton of employees per account here, and we aren't the cheap guys. We're also not the most expensive, but we're probably, you know, we charge a good amount to do great work. And so, we have to make sure we, we're very uh, person-heavy and a lot of uh, consulting-heavy. And so we need to make sure we have enough people that are talented and trained and ready to work on these accounts.
0: Alright, so the last topic right. area we are going to talk about was was social proof. And mm. you said that people aren't worried enough about social proof. What
1: do you mean by that? Yeah, so the reason we grew uh, a lot at first was in every industry, uh, people don't realize their, their own website is not technically the best answer for your most valuable keywords. So let me let me kind of back into that. Sure. So ER, let's say you sell ERP software. OK. When someone looks online at the bottom of the funnel for ERP software, they're going to look at ERP software reviews, ERP software or best ERP software, uh, ERP software companies. See, these are all plural based queries that Google renders usually independent third party sites, and they rank very well for those, not individual companies. So what I mean by that is In software, there's Captera, G2 Crowd, Software Mm -hmm. Advice. You see all these players across the board, since we have so many clients in the B2B SaaS space, we get to see all the data. And I can guarantee, and I'll tell you for a fact, that the ones that have the highest close rate and the highest conversion rates are coming not from Google, but instead from Captera and places where social proof reviews are present. Now, the problem is, is that people aren't recognizing the value of reviews in B2B oftentimes because they're difficult to get. They can be scary. You never know what someone's going to say, right? Mm -hmm. But then they don't have that. Like, we took all of those reviews. We turned those all into case studies and make a book of them and printed it. And see, now you can differentiate yourself from all the other players who are saying, oh, we're different, we're better. But they don't have 30 case studies and 30 reviews. That are verified by an independent party that they can show the client. You see, that's the kind of stuff that closes deals. It's not because they like you and this stuff. Yes, you have to they have to like you to close, but that's not what gets you from the top three to being the one they choose. Isn't right. because they like you. It's because you had the best case studies for similar companies, and they could see how your solution fit exactly into their goals, and it didn't feel as risky as some of the other options.
0: Right. So if you're a B2B, company, but you're not a SaaS company that's going to have a review on G2 Crowd or something like that. So what do you do? To, I to do Clutch. Through?
1: So Clutch is out there for professional services, um, uh, most of them. It's for mostly marketing, branding, social content, uh, PPC. Clutch.co We actually did their SEO. They rank number one for SEO company, PPC agency, you name it, they're number one. We actually got hired by them to do that, and we did that for them um, as part of their team. But they're amazing for creative professional services. And then the other directories are out there like you're a lawyer. That's AVO. That's Yelp. That's other places, let's say. you know, And you just have to start like what you're doing. You have an amazing podcast for salespeople because salespeople love podcasts. And this is your social proof. This is – you see like you have to have something that's out there for social proof and your podcast has reviews and ratings. And all of a sudden that now says something about who you are without me ever knowing you because other people think you're popular. Nobody goes to the three-star restaurants. It's the same idea, and it's how do you create that social proof for yourself? So it's not you saying that you're great, but instead other people.
0: Absolutely agree. So, is there an issue these days? And maybe, and I know in the SaaS world with you know G two Crowd and others that that they sort of address this, but you know, sort of five star review fatigue. Um, Yeah, how do how do companies deal with that?
1: Yeah, it's hard to get 5 stars all the time And now. I mean, so clutch.co, they call they call your client. So I don't I don't like I don't even send them a link. They actually interview them. So the good, bad, the ugly comes out. Right. You want to know something about an agency? I mean, they're they're going to post a 2000-word review of how they interviewed your client and what they said and ask them hard questions. So I mean, I don't have a perfect 5 star on there. Um, you know, we have a great reputation. I think we're, you know, 4.8 and we, we do quite well, but it's, I, I mean, I've definitely this client, you miss a meeting, something like that. They ask them, Hey, have they ever missed a meeting? All of a sudden you got a four stars on <laughs> schedule. You see, I, I mean, it, you know, it's brutal. It is sure, brutal. Sure. But if you run a tight enough organization, you hold yourself to that standard and say, our goal for growth is going to be customer success driven growth. Then you have to say, okay, every one of our clients, we want to have or leave a review, good, bad, and ugly. And let's earn that positive one. And see, then you structure that. Now, when you're closing a new deal, they're like, wow. You've got 30 accounts, but 22 reviews. Over 80% of your portfolios left you reviews. That's pretty unheard of. Okay, we like these guys. This is trustworthy. You right. see, now all of a sudden, you can start to differentiate once again, like I was saying before. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Well, Garrett, it's been great talking to you. Um, tell people how they can find out more about Directive Consulting and connect with you.
1: Yeah. So it, we are a B2B search marketing agency. We do SEO, PPC, and content for B2B companies. You can go to our website, directiveconsulting.com. We pour a lot of time and money and attention into our blog. It's fully focused on B2B, and it's fully talking about search marketing. It's a pretty unique perspective. I don't think there's anywhere other learning resource out there dedicated to it like that. We also have a podcast called What's Next. And yeah, if you're looking to grow your marketing qualified leads or increase the demand for your product or service, we'd uh, love to chat with you. And hopefully, you know, we're both a good fit for each other.
0: Okay. Well, excellent. well, again, Garrett, thank you very much. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Remember, please come back again tomorrow. Join us for another great episode of the show, Accelerate. Until then, appreciate if you get a chance. Go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Subscribe. Leave a review, as we just talked about. Social proof, Garrett. Because um, we want to hear from you about what we can do to make this a better, more valuable experience for you as well. So, thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.